Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is January 11th, 2024. And the title of today's podcast is All the Small Things Small Bag Ventilation Masks in Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrests. And our guest skeptic is Dr. Chris Root. He is an EMS fellow in the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of New Mexico Health Science Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's also a flight physician for UNM's Aeromedical Service, Lifeguard Air Emergency Services. And prior to earning his MD, he worked as a paramedic in New York City 911 system. Welcome back to the SGM, Chris. Thank you so much for having me, Ken. It's great to be here. Well, I just love doing your introduction because there's so many different silly voices I could do. I mean, you know, you're you're down in New Mexico, Albuquerque, you know, you got the New York thing. Oh, lots of lots of stuff to explore. Anyways, it's great to have you back. I've gotten to live and work in some really different and exciting places, that's for sure. Ah, to live an interesting life. Well, the last time you were here, that was SGEM 396, and we were talking about superglottic airways for out-of-hospital cardiac arrests. Remind the listeners, what was the bottom line from that episode? This is another study supporting that the airway is less important in adult out-of-hospital cardiac arrests. We should focus more on high-quality CPR and early defibrillation for shockable rhythms and less on the type of superglottic airway device. Yeah, so let's focus more on that high-quality CPR. If they've got a shockable rhythm, let's defibrillate them earlier. And not that the airway is not important, but I think we need to de-emphasize it. You don't want to be, you know, spending five minutes trying to figure out the airway when you've got a shockable rhythm, right? Absolutely. Well, we're doing another airway episode today, so set us up with a case. You are dispatched to an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, or OCA, The patient is a 54-year-old man who collapsed in front of his family after complaining of chest pain for several hours. On your arrival, first responders from the fire department are performing high-quality, basic cardiac life support. You continue with compressions and defibrillations, and your partner places an advanced airway. Your EMS agency has equipped you with a small-volume adult bag valve mask, or BVM. The first responders have been utilizing a standard-size adult BVM thus far during the resuscitation. Your partner asks you which of the two BVMs you should use to continue the resuscitation. Well, there is continuing debate regarding the appropriate ventilation strategy for these OCAs. Common commercial available BVMs can deliver volumes that exceed normal tidal volumes. And some have argued in favor of, you know, let's, let's use a little smaller BVM to avoid hyperventilation. Exactly. And the issue of BVM ventilation in the context of pre-oxygenation for endotracheal intubation was discussed on SGEM number 281. And airway management in OCA has come up on SGEM 247 and our last episode, SGEM 396. Yeah, and that's not the only time we've looked at OCAs. In fact, I think we've done it more than a dozen times on the SGEM. I know that some neurologists might think that all we cover is stroke, but actually we cover out-of-hospital cardiac arrest way more often. And the SGEM in general has this broad breadth of information that we review because in the emergency department, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But I'll put a list of those dozen or so episodes that have looked at out-of-hospital cardiac arrest in the show notes. Why don't we jump forward and you just give us the clinical question. 
Is using a small adult BVM during resuscitation of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest associated with return of spontaneous circulation? And what's the reference for this episode? This is Snyder et al. Association of Small Adult Ventilation Bags with Return of Spontaneous Circulation and Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest, published in Resuscitation uh, just, this, just last year. And I think you have a conflict of interest. You know Dr. Snyder, so um, please tell us the backstory there. Yeah, Dr. Snyder is a good friend of mine for a number of years now. She, like me, is a paramedic who just kept signing up for more and more expensive CMEs and accumulated enough debt to finally become a physician. And so now she's a first-year emergency medicine resident, and uh, we're actually going to talk to her a little later in the episode. Ooh, exciting. Now, we're not going to pull any punches, are we? We are skeptics. We are going to go full nerd, right? We do nerdy. We talk nerdy. and We're not holding back here. Absolutely. And Dr. Snyder would expect nothing less than a thorough critique of the work that her and her team did here. Excellent. Well, why don't we get to the PICO? This is the population exposure comparison outcome and the type of study. So the PCOT. What was the population? Adult patients treated with an advanced airway for non-traumatic OCA in a single urban EMS system in the U.S. between 2015 and 2021. And they had a number of exclusions, and I'll list those in the show notes. What was the exposure? Small volume BVM ventilation with a Mercury Medical CPR2 bag valve mass device. And what did they compare it to? Large volume BVM ventilation with an unspecified standard large BVM. Yeah, so it was small versus large. All right. The outcome, what was the primary outcome of interest? Return of spontaneous circulation or ROSC at the end of EMS care. This was defined as the time point when the EMS crew entered the receiving ED or termination of resuscitation in the field. And then they had a few secondary outcomes. Yeah, they looked at ventilation rate and mean end tidal carbon dioxide or ETCO2 values during CPR. And the T of the PCOT what type of study was this? This was a retrospective observational cohort analysis of two prospectively acquired registries managed by one single institution's quality improvement staff. So the author's conclusions were, quote, use of small adult ventilation bags was associated with a lower likelihood of return of spontaneous circulation at the end of EMS care in non-traumatic adult out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, end of quote. All right, let's run through the quality checklist for observational studies. First question, do you think they had a clearly focused issue to address? Yes. Yeah, large versus small. Uh, the authors, did they use an appropriate method to answer their questions? Yes, they did use an appropriate method for associations. Yeah, because they're looking at associations because it's observational data. This is not a randomized control trial, so we're not talking about causation. Was the cohort recruited in an acceptable way? Yes, all consecutive patients treated with an advanced airway for non-traumatic OCA in their system were enrolled. Yeah, you know, when you when you see these EMS studies, it's all consecutive patients. You know, one of the uh, drawbacks of doing research in the emergency department is it's usually during convenient hours or or where the where the sun is warming the earth, you know, uh, daytime hours. And so it's nice with these EMS studies. I mean, it's 24-7, 365 for you. It sure is. 
All right. Was the exposure accurately measured to minimize bias? Yes. Yeah. They knew large versus small. How about the outcome? Yes. And did the authors identify all important confounding factors? We're unsure. And we'll talk about that more in the nerdy section. Yeah. It's difficult with observational studies to try to think of everything that could confound your results. Was the follow-up of subjects complete enough in your uh, opinion? Yes. How precise are the results? I think they're adequately precise to address this question. Chris, do you believe the results? I do. And so you work probably in a similar system down there. Do you think the results can be applied to your local population? Yeah, I think that these results are applicable certainly to any large urban EMS system and potentially, uh, yeah, out-of-hospital cardiac arrest populations writ large. Do the results of this study fit with other available evidence? They did not, and this was kind of an unexpected result. Ooh, I like unexpected results. Let's dig into that in the talk nerdy section. Okay, the final part was the funding for the study. Uh, There was no external funding. Uh, Several authors did report some conflicts of interest. All right, that's the quality checklist for observational studies. Let's get into the results. There were over 3,000 patients who were resuscitated during the study period. And of those, almost 2,000 met inclusion criteria and were analyzed. They had 663 in the large bag group and 1,331, so about a two-to-one ratio there, in the small bag group. The mean age was 62 years, just over a third were female, and the mean duration of resuscitation was 34 minutes. Now, both cohorts were reasonably matched except for bystander CPR, public arrests, use of eye gels, and the interval from the 911 call to the start of EMS CPR. Chris, what was the key result? The incidence of ROSC on hospital arrival was significantly lower if the small bags were used versus when the large bags were used. And so for that primary outcome, they were looking for return of spontaneous circulation. And it was 33% for the small bag use versus 40% for the large bag use. And this gave an adjusted odds ratio of 0.74. And it was statistically significant with that 95% confidence interval not crossing one. How about for their secondary outcomes? Ventilation rates of breaths per minute were not statistically different between the small bag and the large bag groups. End tidal CO2 was higher in the small bag cohort, around 36.9 millimeters of mercury, versus the large bag cohort, 33.2 millimeters of mercury, and that was also statistically significant. Now, they did list in Table 2 some of their outcomes like survival to admission, which was statistically greater in the large bag cohort, and no statistical difference to survival to discharge or good neurologic function. The authors also conducted sensitivity analyses and exploratory analyses to control for various potential confounders, but the results were consistent across these analyses. Small bags were associated with lower ROSC rates. All right, talk nerdy section. Now let's jump right in. I'm going to give you the first talk nerdy point, and that's about the actual tidal volumes. This study is based on the hypothesis that ventilation of cardiac arrest patients is bad. 
and that using a small bag would deliver a lower tidal volume and subsequently lower minute ventilation. We know from their data that there was a wide distribution in the ventilatory rate during CPR, ranging from 6 to 18 breaths per minute in roughly 85% of cases. The mean ventilation rate was 12 breaths per minute in both groups. However, we don't know how much volume was actually being delivered with each breath. You don't know if it was just a, you know, like little, you know, squeezes of the bag or woo, woo, you know, just pulling, pushing that bag all the way down. While it's plausible that the use of smaller bags will lead to lower minute ventilation, at present, it's very complicated to measure the actual delivered tidal volumes during an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Exactly. We should also talk about both measured and unmeasured confounders. They measured several potential confounders in this study. They found there was a four-time increase in the use of eye gels in the small bag group, right? Because this was kind of a before and after intervention. And over time, more eye gels were employed based on the data set they had. We can't contribute that trend to any one thing in particular, though. The authors did numerous sensitivity analyses, as we said, to attempt to control for confounding, including medical etiology, public arrest location, time interval from 911 call to initiation of CPR by EMS, total epinephrine dose received, time interval from 911 call to advanced airway placement. Even when they controlled for all these variables, the association between small bag size and lower odds of ROSC on hospital arrival remained less than large bag use with an odds ratio of 0.79 and a confidence interval that, again, did not cross one. The study spanned the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, which undoubtedly changed EMS practice in numerous ways, both measurable and unmeasurable. And the authors did perform a sensitivity analysis, including only pre-COVID small bag patients, and the small bags were still inferior. What the authors cannot control for is any unmeasured confounders. EMS scenes like all emergency medicine, are dynamic. Things happen that we aren't necessarily able to control or replicate. And I think most people would agree even more so out of the hospital than in the hospital. So there's just things that can't be controlled for. Yeah. And we we sort of talked a little bit about generalizability in the checklist, and you felt that this would be generalizable to large urban centers. Um, but I'm going to go through and push back a little bit. The study was obviously not masked. And what I mean by that is not blinded. Everybody got a mask, right? Whether it was small or large, but, but it wasn't a masked or blinded study. The EMS providers, they knew which type of bag they were using, a small one or a large one. And the study also took place in a high performing system that it's accustomed to rigorous quality assessment of all their cardiac arrest calls. I suspect not all EMS systems are performing at this level. Also, over 90% of the patients in each arm of the study were intubated. And you mentioned earlier, intubation, you know, we're going more to eye gel. And so intubation is becoming less common as a first-line management strategy for OCAs. And some EMS systems may not be performing endotracheal intubation at all. So this has potential implications for the generalizability of these findings. And I always, you know, bring up rural areas, right, where they won't have maybe EMS, but they'll have EMTs and stuff like that. And so whether it has generalizability to rural areas. That's a really solid point. And this system does a lot of cardiac arrest work and other systems don't. And 
Yeah, that's a really important consideration with generalizability. This is a retrospective study, right? We're looking through the retrospectoscope here. It spans six years. Things change over time, often in ways that are difficult to directly measure. Uh, as with any intervention, a head-to-head -head randomized control trial would be a more ideal way to compare a novel strategy to the existing standard. Yeah, and to be fair to them, they did collect the data prospectively, but we are looking back and judging it retrospectively. And, you know, I hope a lot of people won't judge me harshly for stuff I did retrospectively. They're doing the best they can with the information they have at the time. Exactly. So nerdy point number five, this is about real world versus theory or hypothesis. This study is the first real world investigation of small bag strategies for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest resuscitation. The evidence supporting the use of smaller bags was derived predominantly from animal studies. And there are lots of cases in medicine where from a physiologic standpoint or a pathophysiologic standpoint, you go, yeah, that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. But then we actually go out and test it and we realize, wow, the human body is a lot more complicated. It's not as simple as you know, one plus one equals two. There's lots of things in play. And so here we have an in vivo experiment um, that the standard bag or the large bag was observed to be superior to the small bag. All right, that's enough nerdiness. Let's comment on the author's conclusion and compare it to the SGEM's conclusion. We agree with the author's conclusions. You're not just saying that because you're friends, are you? No, this is a pretty convincing result that the small bags were inferior to the large bags in this setting. But as I mentioned, I was very intrigued by this paper, A, because it was an unexpected result, and B, because the lead author is a friend of mine. And so I reached out to the lead author, Dr. Bonnie Snyder. Dr. Snyder is a first-year emergency medicine resident at the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. She worked on this research project while she was a medical student at the University of Washington in Seattle. Very importantly, she is a former paramedic. She was kind enough to come on and discuss some of the finer points of her research with us. Dr. Snyder, tell us more about this fascinating paper. Hey guys, I'm so excited to briefly talk about our work here on SGEM. This project took four years to get to the finish line and it's been really great to see how it's shaken things up out there. We really appreciate your review and I just have a few thoughts to add. First, in general, the author group as a whole agrees with your conclusion that there may be unmeasured confounders we couldn't account for, although we did give it a pretty valiant effort. I have just a few more key summary points as far as the results go. Um, firstly, I think we can pretty confidently say that respiratory rate did not meaningfully contribute to hyperventilation in either cohort, and that this particular group of EMS providers is quite good at sticking to the AHA guidelines based off of our mean ventilatory rates, although those guidelines are built on a house of cards, and we won't get into all of that. Secondly, I don't think we can say whether there was a clinically meaningful difference in delivered tidal volume between groups. These medics were trained to deliver using a one-handed squeeze technique before and after our intervention. Our research group led by Dr. Yang in 2022 did assess ventilation mechanics in a small group of intubated patients using the Philips Capnostat system within our system 
We collected data from both Seattle Medic One, who uses the 1,000 ml bag, and King County Medic One, who still uses the 1,500 ml bag. And we found no significant absolute differences in tidal volume based off of predicted body weight, peak pressures, or the proportion of breasts delivered within the therapeutic lung protective range between bag sizes. Thirdly, I wonder if the decrease in entitled value within the large bag in the setting of a similar respiratory rate could suggest a higher minute ventilation. And while we did stratify and control for many patient factors, including sex and age, we did not have access to height and thus could not calculate predicted body weight as another interesting data point to assess the effects of potential changes in tidal volume. Ultimately, we totally agree we really need an RCT to compare these head-to-head and figure out what's best for our patients moving forward. I really appreciate you guys letting me jump on here and your awesome review. Thanks so much. Wow, Dr. Snyder, what a superstar. She did this study, started out when she was a medical student and got published. You know, pretty impressive. Thanks, Bonnie. I really appreciate you coming on and providing us with some additional information that you couldn't get just from reading the manuscript. All right, Chris, it's time to give us an SGEM bottom line. There is a lack of high-quality evidence to support the use of small-volume BVMs. This retrospective study showed that small bags were associated with worse outcomes than standard large bags. A high-quality randomized control trial is needed to determine if one-size-fits-all or if there is a superiority to small bags. And how are you going to resolve that case of that, uh, I believe it was a 54-year-old man who had an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest? Yeah. You and your partner continue to use the adult BVM that's already in use. You focus your resuscitative efforts on the proven interventions like high-quality CPR, minimizing interruptions in chest compressions, and avoiding overventilation. The patient achieves ROSC, and the post-ROSC EKG demonstrates an ST elevation myocardial infarction or STEMI. You arrange to rendezvous with an air ambulance to transport the patient to the nearest STEMI center, which is two hours away by ground. Patient undergoes successful cardiac catheterization and stent placement, and he is discharged home neurologically intact on hospital day five. Oh, it's so nice to have cases that work out. Let's put that in the W column, the win column. <sighs> okay. How are you going to take this information and apply it clinically? Small volume BVMs appear to decrease the likelihood of ROSC during out-of-hospital cardiac arrest when compared with standard adult BVMs. Performing high-quality CPR utilizing a standard adult BVM remains the best practice for treating patients in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. This is also another cautionary tale to not implementing sweeping changes, large bag to small bag, based on pathophysiology and animal studies, and other low-quality evidence. The time to change practice is when there is sufficient evidence, and sufficient evidence did not exist to make this change in 2017, which is why it's great that the authors investigated this question. And so what would you tell the patient's family? We are going to do everything we can to restart your loved one's heart. We're going to use some special equipment to breathe for him while we continue CPR. If we're able to get his heart restarted, we'll transfer him to the closest appropriate hospital as quickly and safely as we can. All right, it's time for the Keener Contest. Last week's winner was Dr. Joe Reardon. Joe is the medical director at Lauren's Emergency Department. 
he knew that the percentage of the population over age 65 in the United States was around 17.3% in 2022. Chris, what's the question for this week? Who first described using a mechanical device to provide artificial ventilation to a human? Oh, if you know the answer, then send an email to the sgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool skeptical prize. Well, thanks, Chris, for taking time to do this. Uh, I didn't point this out earlier, but you're currently at a conference. Do you want to give a shout out to the conference? Yeah, I'm spending the week in Austin, Texas at the annual meeting of the National Association of EMS Physicians. It's been a fantastic week so far. It is the place to be if you are a big nerd about EMS things. This morning, I saw retired assistant chief John Moon of Pittsburgh EMS and Freedom House Ambulance speak. Fun fact, maybe a future keener question is, he was the first person documented to perform an intubation outside of the hospital anywhere. And he is a, he and the men of Freedom House, men and women of Freedom House are legends of EMS. So it was really cool to see him speak this morning. Well, have a great time at the conference. Say hello to all my EMS friends because we are all on team patient, my friend. And if you're going to have great patient outcome, it starts from when somebody reaches out and sometimes that's dialing 911 and sometimes their great care starts outside of the emergency department, continues through the emergency department and in through the inpatient, the ICU, the hospital, all that kind of stuff, all the way to outpatient care. It takes a team. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, Chris, can you give the SGEM tagline? Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next week.